Okay, thank you. And thank you everybody for being here with us today um, for this discussion. Um, and today we have the co-hosts of the Hello Black podcast um, and also influential activists, Alice and Valenti. Um, today they're going to um, kind of talk to us about how they use their platform to share um, some of the often untold narratives and voices of Black radical organizers that are doing the hands-on and the action-based work um, kind of in the field. And we have a couple of discussion prompts um, set up, and then we can also do questions from the chat at any point as well. Yes, so like Larissa said, we would like you guys to start by introducing yourselves because most uh, just for those who don't know you guys. So you can start by your name, your pronouns, and a little bit of background of where you're from and what you do. B, you want me to go first or? Go ahead. All right, what's up y'all? Um, I'm Delincey, definitely excited to be here, uh, breaking bread with y'all. Uh, you know, by no means do me and a boss have all the answers, but you know, anytime we get to share what we've been reading uh, and what we've been able to learn through our own practices uh, and material work that we've done, you know, we always uh, open to doing that and look forward to doing it. And so I'm the co-chair of People's Programs. Um, and I'll let Abbas in his introduction tell you what People's Programs is, uh, the work that we do and, you know, the ideologies and that govern it, right? Um, and so in addition to being the co-chair of People's Programs, I'm also the co-host of Hella Black Podcast, uh, which is a very important medium of our uh, political education bureau, right? Uh, we have over 117 episodes. Thumbs up if I'm correct. We got not over, we got 117 episodes uh, uh, that are published, right? You can get them on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. We also have a Patreon for you know, those of y'all that can afford to chip in, uh, patreon.com backslash hellablackpod. Uh, and so, yeah, this is a very important medium of our political education uh, bureau. Um, and on each po podcast, we aim to give our listeners uh, uh, decolonized education, right, uh, by providing I would say both historical and contemporary analysis of white supremacist capitalist imperialism uh, and the role that it plays in uh, the colonial subjugation of, of Africans everywhere. And so that's uh, what we aim to do with the Hello Black podcast for those that aren't, aren't familiar with it. And so if, uh, decolonization, a deeper understanding of the historical development of white supremacist capitalism, uh, revolutionary nationalist movements, uh, is something that interests you. You should definitely tap into our podcast. Uh, and tap into follow us on social medias. And when I say us, I mean people's programs, um, which we'll drop in the chat later on, because uh, we also have a lot of writings that we do, uh, different different mediums between writing, audio, visual, in terms of uh, decolonial propaganda and education. And so, yeah, thank, thank you all for having, having us. Assalamu alaikum, peace. Uh, very honored and grateful to be here with y'all. This is our first international event, you know what I'm saying? Um, so definitely juice to be able to build international ties, you know what I'm saying? Especially in uh, colonial North America. And we need to build unity uh, amongst different locales to, to fight the free to land from European control, Euro-American control, Euro-Canadian control. Because at the end of the day, these people who run this land is colonizers, they're Europeans, right? Uh, Co-founder of People's Programs, co-chair, of people's programs, a uh, grill master, you know what I'm saying? Be on there making them hot dogs and you know what I'm saying? Uh, Co-host of Hella Black, you know, but definitely just juice to be here. This ain't really about us. So I don't really like introductions, you know, but I guess some of it do matter, <laughs> you know? So I'm a, a new African Muslim, right? We, we say we African, you feel me? Just cause we was dropped off in America don't mean we ain't African, you know what I'm saying? So for us, it, it's important for us to understand that we is black, we is African, that, that's our homeland. And as scientific socialists, as a part of people's programs, we're fighting for the unification of all African peoples through scientific socialism, uh, through pan-Africanism, through revolutionary nationalism. And we believe it's our, our human right, our, our God-given right to be free from oppression, right? To be free from uh, these European colonizers who have stolen our bodies, stolen our language, but they won't steal our spirit. You know what I'm saying? So we, 
we know that it's our right to be free and we're going to fight to be free, right? Um, so people's programs in Hello Black is, they don't exist with, without each other, right? And we'll talk a little bit more about Hello Black and the foundation. I know one of y'all questions, um, but that that's part of the, the political education wing where we get our propaganda out. And it's important that, you know, we have that vessel for people to understand what we are doing, right? What, uh, people can learn from, from what we're doing. We're able to talk about uh, the trials and errors uh, of starting a free program here in Oakland. Um, from the very beginning to where we are now. And we about five years deep into it um, in Oakland, California, home of the Black Panther Party. That's at the best uh, tradition in order how to move forward, right? And so we learned from our past, picking the torch up and moving forward to freedom land. And we believe in liberation in our lifetimes. And that, that's a model that we, we are revolutionary optimists, right? We understand that times it is uh, pessimistic. The conditions we face is harsh. Um, we live in under the most genocidal empires ever known to humanity. So of course, we're gonna get pessimistic at, at some points, but we gotta have that revolutionary optimism mindset that we is gonna be free. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna treat each other like we is free, even though the heel of imperialism is constantly over us. The heel of colonialism is constantly over us. The heel of capitalism is constantly over us. So definitely just to be here and build with y'all, you know what I'm saying? The first event, hopefully, you know, we keep building in the future as well. And definitely, you know, if there's words or, or sayings that we say that y'all might not be familiar with, please reach out, drop it in the comment. You know what I'm saying? We want to be uh, inclusive. You feel me? Um, we want to make it plain, plain as day for what we was talking about. Exactly. Thank you very much for your introductions. And we wanted to know for those who are like unfamiliar what is the what is your scientific socialism like what does scientific socialism mean in your views yeah so uh it's not necessarily scientific socialism in our view this is a you know the the definition of it right um and for us to understand socialism we must first understand capitalism right where capitalism allows a few wealthy to own the means of production and distribution of wealth and in the process exploit the labor of the masses um, and put the put profit profit motives over the needs of the masses over the needs of the planet uh, this is what capitalism does right and so socialism is the complete opposite of that uh, socialism is a social economic and political system where the means of means of production and distribution of wealth are owned by the masses right um, it's a communal in a egalitarian uh, system. And, you know, whereas again, uh, profit drives capitalism, the, the means of the people, the means of the masses, the needs of the masses, the needs of the planet are what drive uh, socialism, right? And some of its uh, characteristics would be universal health care, uh, accessible and free education, uh, housing as a human right. Like these are the things that we see uh, that exist in a, in a socialist system, right? Uh, and the scientific element uh, means that we must use uh, ration, logic, analysis, and data to drive our implementation of socialism, not solely heart and mind, right? It's not about just what, what feels right. It's about uh, what is most effective and efficient. And so this is what we mean by scientific socialism, right? We're communal, we're egalitarian. We put the needs of the people, the needs of the masses first. We don't exploit the labor, right? As to each their own, right? The uh, development of each individual, but not at the expense of another, right? The development of a society, but not at the expense of the planet. And we must be scientific with our approach uh, because as we know, colonialism, neo-colonialism, imperialism are very scientific uh, practices, right? And so if we are going to be revolutionaries. We're going to be, if we are to forge a revolution, we must be scientific with our dismantling of it. And so this is where you get a uh, scientific socialism from. And I recommend, uh, a book as to where you can study and learn scientific socialism is Class Struggle by Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, I would suggest that. I would also suggest uh, the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare by Kwame Nkrumah. Uh, those, those are two books that come to mind in terms of if I would like to get a, a deeper understanding of scientific socialism. Yeah, and just to add on to that is the process of using science to guide our decisions, right, of trial and error of understanding that there's universal truths, right? In the capitalist mode of production, uh, housing we pay for, which means that there's certain people who gonna not be able to pay for housing, which means they're living on the street, they're houseless, right? Under the system of socialism, housing is a human right. 
what happens when housing is a human right? Everybody's housed. All right, so that's a universal truth that under socialism, housing becomes a human right, while under the capitalist mode of production, even though in America there's uh, 17 million vacant properties, there's half a million people living out on the street. Right, so that universal truth right there shows you that socialism will house people and capitalism will keep people out on the street. What do we, uh, what's the universal truth if we say we have free health care? The health of a society will improve. Under the capitalist neoliberal uh, healthcare system, we have big pharma uh, and big healthcare companies exploit the people and privatize healthcare, where healthcare isn't a human right. So, what do we have under a capitalist system? <laughs> Bad health bad life expectancies, right? So it's the process of understanding the universal truths to show that socialism is in fact the way, right? And we do that through scientific methods. We do that in, in through trial and error, through uh, criticisms and self-criticisms, right? It's the scientific process to every stage of development in terms of building organization. So I'll give an example. We have our free breakfast program in West Oakland where we serve over 300 meals on Sunday. Every Monday, we get together as a team, as a logistics team, and say, what were the positives or the negatives? What do we need to improve for the next week? All right, that's science. That's a scientific process that we're using uh, to improve our organization as well as improve um, positive action, positive action that we're doing, right? I know that was a lot. Y'all got, y'all still got questions? Clarity? Yeah, thank you. Um, I was just going to kind of move into the context of us setting up this um, discussion and the month that we're in right now. Um, so in terms of February and Black History Month, Black Activism Month, I know a lot of people don't really um, look at being like black as just one month, you would be black in 365 days of the year, um, like you are who you are all year. But what does that mean to you in terms of this month and in what ways do you celebrate or observe that? In many ways, Black History Month, while it has, has radical origins and Carter G. Woodson of understanding our history, understanding our radical history, right? That was a foundation, right? But we've seen this capitalist state, uh, America co-ops, Black history into the first Black this, the first Black that. And oftentimes it's in the method of, of understanding integration, right? So it's all oh, the first Black person who went to this university, uh, the first Black person in that STEM program, uh, the first Black president, vice president of, uh, of the country, Kamala Harris, who was a cop. And let's celebrate Black history. And it's also transformed into this, you get companies now, it's about capitalism, right? It's about making money. It's a neoliberal ploy to make money. So it's okay, bang Black this February. Uh, go buy black. You know, I mean, we, we ain't saying don't support black businesses for so support black businesses, but not as a method of liberation. That ain't, that ain't a method. We got to free the land from your own American control. Don't matter how many times I go to a black business and spend my money, we ain't still going to get free. Right. Uh, so one of the way our organization uh, honors this month is, is through something we call Black Radical Month. Right. So it's centering the black radical tradition, uh, centering the people who have made some of the most, you know, some who made the ultimate sacrifices, but some who spent years and decades in prison fighting for all of us to be free, right? Uh, the foot soldiers, the, the jihads that, you know, some people don't hear about because they're not considered a celebrity, right? <laughs> right, the Rochelle McGee's who have been locked up, you know, for over 50 years um, since George Jackson, right? We were talking about the, the movement to, to freedom from the, from the penitentiary, right? Where he picked up that gun in the Marine Courthouse Rebellion is like, yeah, I'm gonna get my freedom. I'm gonna get my freedom, been locked up since then, right? So for us as an organization, we've definitely been trying to recenter uh, the revolutionary black history um, to inspire people to pick up that torch towards freedom, independence, and true self-determination, right? Because freedom ain't gonna come through integration. Freedom ain't gonna come through integrating in the colonial Canadian government. Freedom ain't gonna come from integrating in this white supremacist settler colonial state, also known as United States of America. <laughs> Barack Obama is an enemy of our people. He ain't, he ain't, he should, his name should never be mentioned in the same name as Malcolm X or Martin Luther King. It was not Martin Luther King's dream to be in a burning house. One of the last words Martin Luther King says, I'm, I'm afraid I've integrated my people into a burning house, right? 
King was killed by the state. King was killed by the FBI. King was killed by the CIA. It wasn't his dream to have a, a Barack Obama in the White House who dropped bombs in, uh, in Africa through AFRICOM, right? That wasn't King's dream, right? So Black History Month, it's important to, to recognize the revolutionary history. That's, that's, what, that's what we have to center and then apply the history that we are studying to our present, right? And then that allows us to think about our future, our future as a people. And uh, for myself, and again, I think for for uh, all the folks in people's programs, you know, Black History, Black History Month, uh, Black Radical Month is an opportunity for us to push a, a, a full history of uh, African struggle, right? Um, in a decolonial way. Whereas again, neoliberalism has pushed us images of like docile Negroes, has reduced the civil rights movement, for example, to strictly a passive uh, nonviolent movement when we know that uh, organizations like the Deacons of Defense, which were uh, armed uh, armed church folks in the South, right? Protecting folks as they went to go vote, uh, pushing back against uh, Jim Crow South uh, violence, right? We know about the Lowndes County our freedom organization in Alabama, uh, which uh, laid the foundations uh, for the Black Panther Party, where they found a lot of inspiration from the Lowndes County Freedom Organization as they were armed when they went to go register Black folks in Alabama to vote, right? Um, and so with us, we try to prevent, provide a, a, full, uh, a full analysis and an overview of uh, African history, right? Uh, both here, both in America and all across the diaspora, because again, it, it serves the neo-colonial state to push us images that serve their Western capitalist motives. Um, and so I think about for myself, right, like being exposed to books uh, like A History of Pan-African Revolt by uh, C.L.R. James, who was a Trinidadian uh, political scientist and, and theorist and, and revolutionary, right? I recommend reading that book, right? Because as we get caught into struggle, a lot of revolution can seem uh, abstract at times, especially in the ways that they package it in media. Uh, they give you images of that paints that the revolutionary always loses, right? And that's that's not the case. When you get books like A History of Pan-African Revolt, you see that we have in fact revolted um, and we have in fact gained our freedom. Uh, being able to, to read books again by Kwame Nkrumah, by Julius Nyeri, who was the first prime minister of uh, independent Tanzania, learning about Maurice Bishop and the New Jewel Movement of Grenada, right? Uh, reading Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa and understanding that uh, Africans were on the path of development way before we had a contact with Europeans, right? So like, that is how I've come to uh, immerse myself in, in Black history, Black radical history, not just in February, but at all times. And so I think it's important that, that all folks that truly uh, are invested in, in revolution, are invested in putting an end to the colonial subjugation of, of Africans everywhere, you got to go and seek that information that was written by the Africans who, who got busy, uh, reading the We Are Own Liberators by Jalil Muntakeem, uh, Former Black, pa former Black Panther and veteran of the Black Liberation Army and one of the longest held political prisoners. Uh, reading the Ujamas again by Julius Nairi, reading that pan history of Pan-African Revolt. These are the books that we must read uh, so that we can get a full understanding of our Black history, of our new African, of our African history. Yeah, we gotta study like our lives depend on it because they do. Uh, in many ways, the capitalist corporations through uh, the CIA, PsychOps, aka Twitter, aka Instagram, uh, we take learning and we think learning is just solely about an Instagram reel. Or learning is just from this short 60 second clip that I just watched on Twitter, right? But true learning is going to be coming from them books, you know what I'm saying? And not in this Western sense of read the book and take a test, <laughs> but applying the knowledge that you receive from these books and then applying the principles that you learn to your organizing, right? Because these, these, I'm trying not to cuss, that's why I'm pausing. <laughs> these capitalists, these colonizers, you feel me? They gonna, they've launched war. <laughs> Occupations is going on in Ottawa, right? Uh, January 6th, that happened. They've, they've said and laid the intent of what they will do, right? So it's our understanding that we must be armed with the knowledge, right? To guide the organization, to guide our work, you feel me? So we can not only protect ourselves, but go on the offensive to free the land and to become our own liberators. Thanks for the great responses so far. Um, 
I think you've touched on a little bit about this next question, but just to go deeper in, uh, what were your motivations behind starting the People's Program in Oakland and the Hella Black podcast? Uh, what was our motivations? Uh, I would say, man, it's, uh, I guess, destiny or just uh, the... Hey, this destiny is what happens when uh, circumstances uh, meet with your understanding of the world, right? And so me and the boss were uh, doing some some student organizing through the, the African Black Coalition, which is a, uh, it's an organization rooted in uh, California. Uh, and we were doing some student organizing with them and they were super caught up in, again, impacting campus life uh, but not really doing anything for the communities that surrounded uh, these campuses. For example, here in, in Oakland, right? I, I guess our closest university will be uh, UC Berkeley. Um, they were doing a lot of work on UC Berkeley's campus, but no, no programming attached to uh, the ghettos of Oakland, right? And so in the, with us understanding this, while simultaneously uh, reading books like uh, Revolutionary Suicide, which is one of the autobiographies of uh, Huey P. Newton, which is the co-founder of the Black Panther Party, uh, reading, I think at that time, a boss is also reading To Die for the People, which is also another autobiography of, of Huey P. Newton. And so reading these things and simultaneously at the same time period, right, we're noticing how uh, the work that we're doing is impacting a small demographic of Black students on campus, not to, not to, uh, not to denounce that work. I think it was some impactful work to an, to an extent, uh, but the real work that needed to be done to bring our politics to life is again the work that that impacts the masses, right? Um, so reading these books, understanding what the work of our organization was really doing, and then simultaneously we had just launched Hella Black Podcast, um, and we were recording in like a shipping container, right? A real ship. We were recording in an actual shipping container in a warehouse in West Oakland. And we would come out. For those who don't know, West Oakland um, at that time, and, and I believe still in present day, had the highest population of uh, houseless encampments in Oakland, right? And so we will come out of the studio while we talk in revolutionary theory, talking about what we read and see people uh, starving, living in squalor, you know, uh, conditions that would uh, be compared to like shanty towns in, in apartheid South Africa, you know what I'm saying? Seeing this and realizing like, okay, if we're gonna be talking this on um, the podcast, if we understand that the gaps in the organizing that we're doing is a gap that uh, doesn't meet the needs of the masses of people, boom, and it just clicked. Like, we got to start, again, doing some programming that's impacting the people. And through our analysis of the terrain, we realized that it was a bunch of uh, houses and encampments in West Oakland. Um, and so realizing that the Panthers First program was a free breakfast program, uh, we decided that the first thing we would do was feed people. And now well, we're like 50,000 meals later and running a breakfast program every Sunday, that was, you know, it wasn't easy. You know, thinking back to our first time even going to the store, in our minds, we had it, we had to believe that we was going to cook, we was going to go to these encampments and cook the food right in front of them, hot and ready type, and, and distribute it. Uh, so we went to the store, I got like a bunch of eggs and sausages, and my mom, my mom was going to help us cook it. Uh, we had bought one of those, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but like, you know when you go to sporting events, and they got like the people outside on the grill making hot dogs, y'all got that out there? Yeah, so we, we, we fundraised for a grill. We like, yeah, we're going to cook this up in front of the people. We told, I think my mom, our plan, and she was like, you're not going to be able to cook that many eggs and sausages uh, and keep it. Yeah, you're just not going to be able to do it. So let's cook it the night before or the day before, morning of, night before, whatever. We went shopping. My mom was like, we got the wrong sausages. We have to go back to the store. And so we give you this context to say that, yeah, you know, we 50,000 meals later, almost five years, we 50,000 meals since then, almost five years later but it took a lot of trial and error for us to get there. And so uh, that is the historical development of, of people's programs and the work that we do. And again, it just aligned with, uh, it's just a result of political education, uh, analysis and understanding our locale, the terrain of our locale, which led to us you know, doing this work. Thank you for telling us some more about that and uh, how you started out with it. Um, I think on our next question, we have 
what needs do you feel your community or other communities such as Ottawa um, can address through the learning that you have in your programs? And I know that since um, you started it as like the People's Breakfast Program and then now it's just the People's Programs because you offer um, a variety of other different programs. So if you wanted to maybe touch on that as well. Yeah, you know, one of our mottos as an organization is that is that we are our own liberators, right? Um, and when thinking about, you know, the questions of how do we address racism, how do we address colonialism, how do we address imperialism, there's really essentially three questions for us as Africans and new Africans um, in this land called America. It's either do we integrate into America, do we fight for a, a united socialist uh, America, which you know, still maintains some type of settler colonial uh, socialism, whatever they want to call that, right? Or the third is to fight for true independence and true autonomy uh, through the new African independence movement and uh, the Republic of New Africa. For us, the answer is the third, right? Um, so what we do through the program, right? So we started as People's Breakfast Oakland, just as breakfast, but we always knew we had goals to expand, but we, we wasn't gonna fake the funk, you know what I'm saying? So it's all right, People's Breakfast Oakland, Let's get this breakfast going. And then as, as we expand, like people's programs is always the goal, right? Here we are five years later with the health clinic, uh, legal program, grocery program, community education, internal and external uh, legal program, right? All these programs that are developing, garden, right? Um, where we're growing fresh produce and then taking that produce and putting in the grocery program boxes, right? Um, we know that we needed to build decolonization programs, right? Which is evolving from the survival programs of the Black Panther Party. Right, decolonization programs was coined and developed uh, by Jaluma Takim while he was inside a prison. Right, he says we actually have to go on to the offensive for our liberation. Right, and part of that offensive means building programs for decolonization in the respective locales. Right, to so where we can realize that through our own organizing, through the work that we are doing, we can begin to practice a level of self-government. Right, we know that in West Oakland we can do 300 meals. We know that we can bring out a health clinic. Right, and we can show people the way that. While these politicians are sitting in the hills, right, and while these politicians is cutting uh, funding to food programs, while these politicians is, is cutting schools, we outside amongst the people and showing the people that we need to build our true self-autonomy and true independence, right, um, through building these programs. And that will advocate class struggle, right? As we are building through this process of class struggle, we're going to be able to develop unity through that, right? It's going to be natural. You see people... You know, if you if, if you see people supporting you over four or five years, you're going you're gonna to have some type of trust in those people. Right. And then you realize, OK, do that. Let's start governing ourselves. We're already doing these programs ourselves. Right. So what we have to do is build complete independent uh, institution in our communities to help us during the now. Right. To survive under this, but also to ultimately go on the offensive. Right. Because we know it is our human right uh, not only to defend ourselves, from European colonial violence, but also to end European colonial genocide violence, genocidal violence, right? That's our human right. And that's what the United Nations says. <laughs> the United Nations says that colonized people from different national nationalities have the right to defend themselves from colonial violence. So why don't we take up that, right? And through that process of building programs, that, that, that's, that, that is a, the goal for the day, right? It's building these programs, right? Building these autonomous institutions for us to, uh, to fight, right? For us to effectively be able to fight. Exactly, and that is true, I definitely agree. And my next question is, what does activism mean and look like to you? And what advice would you give to those who wanna create like actionable changes in their communities? Let me go be. Um, I think for us, we try to focus more on uh, organizing as opposed to activism, right? Um, activism, how, how I've come to understand it on average, uh, can be reactionary uh, and at best responsive, right? Uh, and so responsive is, is what you see, which is a logical, a logical. Uh, a logical uh, response, right, to colonial subjugation, right? You think about when uh, 
uh, an African person is, is shot cold in the streets like, like they do so often out here in America, right? Um, in North and quote unquote North America, it will be a, it's a logical response of the people to hit the streets, right? Like that makes complete sense to riot, to express their hurt and to express their pain. But the next step that will lead to, to an effective qualitative uh, protracted struggle is organizing, right? And so that's why we push organizing as opposed to activism. Um, which again, organizing calls for the daily proactive uh, strategic struggle, right? Um, it has an ideology that, grind, that grounds it. You meet, you'll meet a lot of reactionary and responsive activists who don't necessarily have an, an ideology, they just mad, right? And Kwame Ture says uh, a revolutionary can't just be against something, they have to be for something, right? And so with activists, you know, a lot of the times what they're against, I'm, I'm against violence, I'm against police violence, Black Lives Matter, right? Then this is a great start. But with uh, organizers that are attached to organization, an effective organizer and an effective revolutionary organization will have revolutionary uh, philosophies, revolutionary methodologies, like historical materialism, like, like dialectical materialism that's guiding their work, right? Um, and so this is why we have an investment in what history has shown us is that organizing, right again, uh, Bobby Seale, the co-founder of the Black Panther Party said, they don't got us outnumbered, they got us out organized, right? And so we've come to understand uh, white supremacist capitalist imperialism as a very organized, thought out, scientific uh, process. And so we must do the same. We must be organized. And if you look at it like what activism, again, people hit the streets, they get that out, you get a little bit of reform, and then the cycle, cycle continues, right? But what organizing has shown us over the years is that that's where the real power exists. That's where you start to see the real shifts. Uh, so this is why we preach organization. Uh, and organizing and having uh, revolutionary ideologies that govern your, your practices and your actions uh, as an effective means of revolution as opposed to, to solely activism. Yeah, because you're just an activist. It's like you're just speaking about an issue. You're just talking about the issue. Uh, you might be tweeting about the issue. You post it on Instagram. You're making a reel. You might be on TikTok. But that doesn't mean you're doing anything to address the issue, to organize, to end the issue that you was talking about. Right? While an organizer is going to activate people uh, for clear action and clear objective uh, goals to move the people forward towards independence and liberation. And right now we've seen the state prop up activists, right? We've seen the U.S. government prop up activists. We, in many ways, there's a, a activist industrial complex, right? Where you have these celebrities, these uh, academics, these uh, bourgeoisie people um, these blue check, blue check Twitter, uh, blue check Instagram activists, right? And all they do is talk about the issue. They can talk, talk, talk. They can talk a good game, but they ain't do nothing to solve the issue. And they make a lot of money by doing about doing that. They go from talk to talk, university to university, book to book, but ain't fed nobody, <laughs> ain't clothed nobody, ain't provided no health care for nobody, right? And through that, it becomes a complex because now they're they're making money off of it, right? Right, they're making book deals, they're doing speaking engagements, right? But they ain't done nothing for the people, right? And we've seen this time and time again, we've seen people like uh, Sean King or, or DeRay, right? Uh, being propped up by the nonprofit industrial complex, being propped up by the state. And what do they do? They lead people straight into the democratic machine. Go vote for Kamala Harris, go vote for Joe Biden, right? Go give us our money so we can get cops elected, aka district attorneys, right? And that becomes what Kwame Ture, uh, Kwame Nkrumah calls a containment strategy, right? Where it contains the the righteous rebellion that's going on in the street, contains the the revolutionary movement in the street, and then puts it in this whole activist industrial complex. Well, now Ture is seen as the leader, Sean King is seen as the leader, uh, the Black Lives Matter trio is seen as the leader. But what programs have they do they have attached? Why do these activists? Uh, rake in $90 million, but they have no program attached to their program. Why does Campaign Zero make $40 million in their activists? But where'd that money go? It just disappeared. All right, then we have to be able to be like, well, what's something, something wrong? <laughs> something, something, something ain't make no sense. All this money, we're talking about $150 million between BLM and, and Campaign Zero. All this money comes into this uh, not nonprofit industrial complex, the, the activist industrial complex. And that money just disappears. So look like a pig, or walk like a pig, or wink like a pig, it probably is. 
right? So we have to be very conscious and, and be students of our history and understand how the CIA, the FBI, the state will do anything, anything to stop black revolution because they know if a black revolution happens here in North America, <laughs> imperialism as we know it will crumble. Oppressed people throughout the world will rise up and tell these American military bases throughout the world that they gotta go. Right, so we got to reject the activist industrial complex. And if, if someone claims to be about, a pe be about the people, ask them what they're doing for the people. Use that as a, a, as a scientific analysis. If I'm saying I'm an organizer, if I'm saying I build programs for decolonization, you better be able to go to people's programs and see some type of program for decolonization. Or if you came and volunteered from Ottawa and came to Oakland, and I'm saying we're doing all this work and I can't show you nothing, I'm capping, I'm fronting. So that, that's what we have to use as tools to be able to, uh, to uh, make a proper analysis. So our own people who look like us, who might talk like us, who might trigger certain emotions within us, don't lead us down the wrong path. That's very interesting what you said about um, big companies. Cause just uh, in January, we had an outbreak of BLM Toronto where people were coming out with the revelations of what BLM Toronto has actually been doing under the books with NDAs and everything. So I find that it is very interesting to look at these big organizations and really ask yourselves, what are they really doing for the people? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a containment strategy to quell the revolutionary fever of the people um, and to mislead and, and misguide the people, right? Like. Follow these people. They know they, they got it right. Just give them your money and you know, they, they're going to make a shake for y'all as opposed to with, with, with no accountability, right? You invest in these people. You give them your money. You give them, well, it ain't nothing like you can give them your volunteer time because they ain't doing nothing. So essentially you give them your money and your faith and they run off with it, right? And when you have real community organizations, right? And even the nonprofit industrial complex has uh, co-opted the term community organizer, right? Where you see that all over these nonprofits are community organized. When you have actual organized organizations and organizers who are tied to the community, you have uh, people to hold, you have people that you are actually accountable to. You know what I'm saying? And that's why activists uh, in the state love activism. They love propping up these government organizations because these people aren't accountable to nobody but the state, nobody but the corporation. That's why they always say, they always say that when companies or when a movement starts to become big, it always loses its value. And I realized that that happens a lot. Without, without proper organization, without an organization to guide it, right? Uh, which we saw with uh, Black Lives Matter. There wasn't a mass organization that was ready to capture the, the energy of the people to be able to protect them from a Black Lives Matter organization, right? You, di you didn't have a, a revolutionary organization with a revolutionary ideology, a revolutionary philosophy, revolutionary programming. There was, what was the, what was the, the, uh, the alternative to Black Lives Matter, the organization? There wasn't one. Yeah. I feel like so the state was able to capitalize on it, you know? Exactly. I feel like it's always important when you're doing a project and it gets like a lot of attention. So always remind yourself why you're doing this and if your intentions and goals are still the same. That right there is politic. <laughs> principles. Your principles got to guide your actions. Your principles got to guide your actions. Your ideology got to govern your, st your step at every move, right? If, we do, if we're not doing that, you're easily going to be co-opted or you have the ideology of integration, the ideology of capitalism. And many of these organizations have the ideology of capitalism, right? have the ideology of neoliberalism, have the ideology of uh, pseudo-representation politics, where we say, oh my God, yes, representation, oh, we're on Netflix, we're on the big screen, or we got a first black president, uh, we got a, a AKA and vice president. But what does that mean for the masses of people when the masses of people is catching hell, right? So our principles gotta, gov gotta govern us. And that's what, why we have to build revolutionary organizations. Right, organizations that abide by principles, the principles of revolutionary nationalism, uh, the principles of revolutionary pan-Africanism, right? The principles of egalitarianism. Because if we ain't walking around with principles, we're just doing what we feel. <laughs> we ain't letting nothing guide us, right? 
I know that Fernando has the next question. Sorry, but I wanted to um, jump in and add that like it's a similar thing um, that we see in other types of movements as well, like the idea of that rainbow capitalism that happens in the month of June. Um, and like it just kind of goes through this tokenization of putting people's identities into this like separated boxes, separated bags of people um, and only celebrating that on one month a year, one week a year, whatever it happens to be. Um, but really these other motives are coming and collecting profits off of what people feel like is support for them, but really it's not supporting the needs of the actual communities. So I think that's a really um, like important point that we're talking about. So uh, sorry, Fernando, go ahead on the, uh, the fifth question there. Yeah, just to dive deeper into governance and, and uh, those principles that you were talking about, can you speak more to the idea of self-governance and what that means for Afro-descendant and BIPOC individuals? essentially like the significance of uh, organizing and what organizing truly, truly looks like. Do you want to kick it off? Yeah, it's good. Um, so just for clarity, we addressing uh, the importance, why we value the importance of uh, nationhood and self-governance and sovereignty. Is that what we essentially get at? Yeah. Okay. So if we come to understand uh, historical materialism, right? That says historical materialism. Y'all familiar with that? Let me get a hands up if you're familiar with, with historical materialism. All uh, right, yeah. Well, so since, since, historical, since historical materialism says that uh, the world don't happen at random, right? Uh, it's developed through, uh, instead it happens as a result of causes, causes and effects directly linked to the modes of production and distribution of wealth, right? That's what historical materialism says to that, right? And so if you look at the experience of oppressed nations uh, across the world as a result of monopoly capitalism, um, you'll see that the logical next step would be a complete divestment, right? If being connected to this colonial state has led to uh, mass incarceration, public health and environmental racism, uh, genocide, period, transatlantic slave trade, if you realize that this is what has happened as a result of being connected with Euro-Americans, then again, the analysis would be, we need to completely divest from this. And so this is why we preach uh, nationhood and, and uh, sovereignty and self-governance because we come to understand that that is the only logical option to, to save the lives and to save, to save humanity and to save the planet, period, point blank. Uh, because since, since oppressed folks have come into contact with Euro-Americans, there has nothing been, there's been nothing but colonial subjugation. And we have at least the last, when was the Emancipation Proclamation? 1776. So even if we want to just start integration there, we got hundreds of years that show us what being invested in this uh, settler colonial state means for uh, oppressed folks, right? The Mexican American, the Asian American, the quote unquote African American. We've seen what integration has got you. 70% uh, of Oakland's houses population is black. 38% uh, of the US's uh, jail population is black, although black people make up 12% of the world of, of the U.S. population. This is what uh, integration into this society has got us. So we need a complete divestment from it. We've had the ultimate, we've had the epitome of integration. We've had a black president and under the black president, the African command. Under the black president with a black DA and black judges and black cops, was it Freddie Gray? We've you seen, had black everything. <laughs> we've seen the epitome of the African-American dream as they might sell it to us. What has it gotten us? We gotta try something different. And we've seen again, uh, pre-contact pre, uh, pre with Europe again, if you read, Walter, Walter Rodney's How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, you see the development of African nations, the thrival of them. Uh, if you look at, I guess, more contemporary times with uh, uh, Seko Toure uh, as the prime minister of, uh, of Guinea, what they were able to do with uh, vaccinations. If you look at Thomas Sankara, 
the first president of uh, independent Burkina Faso and what they were able to do with tree installations and, and education. We've seen in recent, or I wanna say, we've seen in history with that, with, uh, with revolutionary nationalism, what nationhood does for the oppressed peoples, Cuba, Nicaragua, Vietnam, we've seen what it does, we've seen what that means for us. And so again, if we're gonna be historical materialists and dialectical materialists, uh, sovereignty, complete uh, disinvestment and separation from colonial projects is the only answer for us. And it's the only answer for humanity and the planet. Because if we look at the system now, we live under a genocidal system of settler colonialism. The formation of the so-called United States regime is a genocidal settler colonial empire. Canada is a genocidal settler colonial empire. We look at the, the Holocaust that happened to the Jewish people, right? We understand we would never tell a Jewish person to integrate into the Nazi regime. That would never, we would never say, oh, we need uh, to integrate Jews into the, the Gestapo. We would never say that. It doesn't make no sense. So why would we tell uh, African <laughs> to integrate into a settler colonial regime that Hitler himself learned from and then created Nazi Germany? Hitler learned from the Jim Crow South. Hitler learned from the, the transatlantic slave trade. Hitler learned from the plantation. Why would we tell oppressed people to join the system <laughs> to oppress our own people? To advance neocolonialism, because that's what it is, is neocolonialism. When you have a black cop doing the job for a white cop, is neocolonialism. When you have a black president doing the job for the white European corporate interests, that is neocolonialism. When you have a, a black president uh, expanding AFRICOM, which is the African command structure in Africa, right? And dropping bombs in Libya and, and dropping bombs in Somalia. That is neocolonialism, right? So what is the alternative? Is for us to be our own liberators. What is the alternative for us to practice uh, our own self-determination through the Republic of New Africa? Because we have the right as African peoples to govern ourselves. Right, Islamically, it's a sin to join the side of your oppressor. <laughs> I ain't trying to sin. <laughs> I'm trying to free the land from your American control, right? And then that's what we have to do. And that's, if we want true independence, true sovereignty, the, the highest level of organization is statehood with revolutionary aims, right? With statehood so we, we can unify, help unify the continent through scientific socialism, right? That is the highest level of organization. Right, that is the high, highest level of revolutionary scientific advancement for our people. Right? And nation states is the way of the game. You know, oftentimes we'll hear from anarchists saying we need a stateless society. I'm like, now nah, I need a state to be able to defend my people from Europeans. <laughs> Maybe in 400 years we could have a stateless societies, but if anything has shown you from being a historical materialist, these Europeans will enact genocide wherever they go and then sell it back to you. So we, we must become and we must realize consciously and, uh, and liberate ourselves from the colonial mentality that we need our colonizer. And we must do for self and liberate ourselves. A hundred percent. And Delincey, um, you talked a bit about mass incarceration, which kind of brings me to my next question, which is what are a few of systemic barriers that you have faced in, the, in developing your professional lives? And how, how have you worked to overcome some of the roadblocks in your success, either in the Hella podcast or your people's programs? Yeah. Um, I guess we just now, the reading, the reading, uh, We Are Own Liberators, Jalil calls it a professional revolutionary. Um, and so what I've come against is trying to be a professional revolutionary is reform, uh, is white supremacist capitalism uh, and neocolonialism in all, all their forms, right? Uh, the current, right now we got situations in Oakland where uh, the pig department has nearly a $700 million budget for the next two years, starting, well, started in 2021, right? So 20, 2021 and 2023, uh, Oakland Pig Department has $700 million at their disposal. That's not included uh, overtime. Simultaneously, uh, you know, they are cutting free food programs, 
and they just closed, they just voted to close eight more public schools, right? And so this is the terrain that we are up against uh, while simultaneously trying to build and trying to organize, right? So we are up against uh, the mass organization of the monopoly capitalist in Oakland um, while trying to provide food for our people, while trying to take care of ourselves, while trying to educate, while trying to propagandize, right? Um, and so these are the struggles that we come up against, but they're not new struggles. And luckily, again, if we call ourselves historical and dialectical materialists, we understand where things have worked in the past and how to apply them uh, in present day. And so, you know, we're dealing with the police state in Oakland. Uh, we're dealing with our people being in a, a state of arrested development through the Western media propaganda system, right? The movies that they expose to us, the music they expose to us, the literature that's, that's pumped into us, the food, the drugs. Uh, but again, this is not nothing new, right? Uh, it's the plug and it's the plug and play of the system of white supremacist capitalist imperialism. But again, through reading and studying, we are able to figure out how to maneuver through all this so that we can continue to strengthen the revolutionary energy of not just Oakland, uh, but across uh, the country. And so we just engage in struggle. Sorry, if I formulated um, question as if I was talking to Delincey. I don't know if that's how I formulated the question. It's because he talked about mass incarceration and it brought me back to systemic issues. Yeah. It felt like he was asking how we personally was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there like, something specifically you want me to touch on? It's all good. If you want to, you know. Okay, okay. Because I wanted to make sure that Abbas didn't feel like I was just asking. Oh, oh no, it's, it's all good. You know, that's the benefit of having the same ideology. Is your answer going to be the same? <laughs> you feel me? So I don't know how much more I can add on to what, to what he said. Um, and I know we're kind of getting to our one hour mark here. So we will kind of wrap things up soon. Um, but we have one more question that we had um, for you, which is with the current situation um, of occupation and spreading white supremacy ideologies in Canada um, brought about by recent events in Ottawa. I think that there's a lot of black and marginalized members of particularly the Ottawa community, but a lot of the Canadian community um, that are trying to seek a balance between publicly denouncing the ideologies and the demonstrations that are going on um, while also keeping their personal safety as a priority. What would your responses be given a similar situation like this or what do you see is a good structure to move forward in this? Organize, organize, organize. Organize for your collective safety, for your people's safety for your friend's safety, right? And, and develop strategies amongst yourselves to, to literally keep your people safe. Uh, in the face of fascism, we have to play the game smart and know when to respond and when's the right time to, to, to activate, when's the right time to release a statement and when's the right time to actually just build and make sure that y'all was walking each other home. You feel me? For the people who, who might be, who are most susceptible to violence, y'all walking each other home, y'all making sure y'all checking in with each other to make sure y'all get home safely. Right. And I think what looking at what's happening, it it can't be divorced, I think, from the January 6th uh, occupation of the Capitol and so-called Washington, Washington, D.C., where these uh, white fascists stormed the building and laid their intention, you know, said exactly what they want is a, a far right fascist coup. We understand the Democrats is fascist as well. The right wing just looks a little bit different. Right. It's, it's like a bird, the left wing and the right wing liberals and the Democrats. They're all part of the same bird, left wing and right wing. Right. They all have the same uh, allegiance to imperialism, capitalism, and settler colonialism. But the far right, they just take it on one in a different direction, right? And it kind of it, it made me think about you know this uh, this so-called white working class, right? Because uh, I'm seeing in Ottawa that they're saying, oh, it's working class people talking about their freedom, and that's all BS. <laughs> they, they, they are settlers, a part of a settler colonial state talking about freedom, when literally their people have stolen capital, resources, right, for centuries, <laughs> and they're talking about freedom. Well, why, why is it always that the, the working class white is, is talking about freedom? 
when they is literally European invaders, <laughs> European settlers, right? So I, we we have to see the this element of fascism that is at play. It, it, it is here, right? It is here. And as uh, George Jackson said, we, we got to settle our quarrels. We got to come together. We got to build unity, right? We got to build build programs uh, to begin to address this fascist violence that will be knocking at our door at some point, right? Uh, America is on the verge of civil war. Then we don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen at some point. If America has civil war and uh, people in Canada, white people, Europeans in Canada is subscribing to the same ideology, right? Because you see them, them people in, in Ottawa was doing some research. They, they hold the Confederate flag, <laughs> right? So their ideology is set with colonialism. The ideology, right, is white supremacy. Right, their ideology is a, a Western a Christian crusade. Right, that that's their ideology. So, what do we, as oppressed people, as colonized people, it is our right. The United Nations give us the right to defend ourselves. Right, so I I, I just definitely advocate y'all taking care of each other. Y'all know the terrain better than me. I ain't there, you know what I'm saying. But I I don't think we cannot. We have to talk about what's going on. We can, we can't shy away from it. And we just got to do it in a way where we where we know we safe, you know. Um, that that would be my response. D, I don't know if you want to add. Yeah, um, and I would say like on a real, you know, on a, I guess like on the ideological and philosophical level, understanding right, like no risk, no reward, you know. Um, what's being what's being asked of many of us right now is literally just to like educate the people, especially what you know. Uh, and Krumah would call the, the intelligentsia, right? Like the folks that go to the, the folks that's in the schools, like we just got to teach the people why they hate capitalism, why they should love socialism. Um, and of course, in a colonial society, that is a, a dangerous game you playing. Uh, but, you know, we're not having to do what so many guerrillas have had to do in terms of armed struggle, right? And so I would say, you know, stand on your principles. The least we can do is speak out, understand the terrain, right? Like don't put yourself in a situation where you can get hurt. And then on a practical and logical level, things that, you know, arm yourselves, period, on a defensive posture. You know, arm yourself if you can. I don't know what the gun laws is like in Canada, uh, but, you know, legally arm yourselves and self-defense classes, period. Uh, we do boxing, Muay Thai. Uh, we, we, got a, we got a heavy training regimen because uh, what you'll read, what you'll understand from reading uh, class, the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare, um, is that everybody's gonna have to contribute to the revolution and everybody should be trained and well-equipped. And so I would say again, you know, and what Beef talked about earlier through organizing, you know, you understand that shit, if you go, uh, your comrades gonna keep your work and spirit alive and well and moving. That's the same reason why we're here talking about people that's dead and gone. And the Seco Toure's, the Maurice Bishops, the uh, Kwame Nkrumah's, the Kwame Toure's, the uh, Huey P. Newton's, the Bob, the, this is the reason why, you know, through their work, through their organizing, they, they stay alive. And so again, practical is arm yourself, learn some type of self-defense, uh, and then just find resolve in knowing that, you know, you contributing to something that's bigger than this uh, physical, this physical realm. Yeah, because they want us to live in, in, in places of fear. They want us to be psychologically trapped by their so-called supremacy. Uh, you know, we don't fear them. <laughs> we don't fear them, right? But what we do train, we, we, we train to overcome them. We train to uh, overthrow our oppressors, right? In, in class struggle for national unity, we build, through class struggle, we, we build programs, right? To support the immediate needs of our people and to eventually go on our offensive, right? Class struggle calls for mass political education. All right, so I think people in this room is like, is is getting outside the campus and into the community. What resources can you take from your university and bring to the community? How can you uh, have a relationship, right? A reciprocal relationship with the community? Because oftentimes these, these universities is, is they are their sites of colonial indoctrination, colonial education, um, and also sites that drive out the masses of people, right? Sites of gentrification, all right? Uh, 
Um, I think that is the last of the questions we have. I did see there was one in the chat here. Um, so how do you conceive the relationship between revolutionary activity in the diaspora and the Africans on the African continent? And that was from Sam. I mean, it, it's dialectically connected, right? The Pan-African uh, movement, right? Oftentimes they say, oh, you ain't in Africa. How you how you a Pan-Africanist? Well, I'm an African, right? If we look at, at the Sons of Africa, uh, which is attributed, you know, to the early stages of Pan-Africanism, right? They started in London, I believe, right? So if we understand the, the, the history of, of Pan-Africanism, we know Shirley Du Bois, <laughs> we know W.E.B. Du Bois, who, you know, oftentimes y'all will read in, in y'all Black history courses or African-American study or ethnic studies, and especially at the university, they'll give you a, a false notion of, of Du Bois, a, a talented 10th notion of this, you know, it's going to take the talented tent to, to solve our issues, but people don't realize W.E.B. E. Du Bois died a Pan-Africanist, right? So for us as uh, revolutionary nationalists, right, that's an inherent part of Pan-Africanism. It's for wherever you are in your different locale, whether you're in the Caribbean or here um, in colonized America, organized amongst your national, organized amongst national unity, right? Develop national unity, unity amongst your people. Right. And through that positive action, through mass positive action, we'll be able to overcome the negative action of capitalism, colonialism, imperialism. Right. And as we free ourselves in different locales, right, we then transfer that positive action. Right. If we look at Cuba, for example, right, Cuba uh, overthrew the Cuban Revolution. What are they doing? Sending troops. <laughs> you feel me? Sending troops to the continent to support anti imperialist movements, to support. Uh, movements that are free in the land um, from Euro-American, French, whatever, wherever, whatever type of European they are. Right. So that's how we have to see the, the, the dialectical connection is that once we get free here in this locale, we go support the next locale and help them get free. We develop a uh, revolutionary basis where we're able to uh, be mass supporters of the people. Right. We look at Cuba being able to send uh, vaccines <laughs> throughout the global south to the continent. Right. That is the type of solidarity that we have to develop. And how do we do that? It's through high levels of organization. And the highest level of organization is through the Republic of New Africa. Right. Uh, it's through statehood. It's through nationhood. And that's that's the way other countries can take us serious. Right. And we be able to develop uh, the military capability to be able to wage a people's war to save the planet. Right. To, to save humanity, <laughs> because the way that we're going in terms of uh, man-made climate change, capitalist-made climate change, U.S. imperialist-made climate change. If we don't uh, fight a people's war for liberation, to end capitalism, to end colonialism, we are going to see mass climate catastrophes. We're already seeing mass climate catastrophes, and it's only going to get worse. So that, that's why we, we have to organize. We have to organize. And it's U.S. imperialism, if we overthrow U.S. imperialism, People is waiting. <laughs> People is waiting for us inside of the belly of the beast to rise up and to, to free the land. And as we do that, people, oppressed people throughout the world will be able to gain their freedom, be able to gain, gain their independence because America can't fight a war in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, they can't maintain Africom. They can't maintain uh, the Zionist Israel while people's war is going on right here. In North America. They can't. The generals themselves said, oh, we, we failed in Afghanistan because we had a war in Iraq going on as well. The generals know this. The military knows this. That's why they do everything and anything through the CIA, through COINTELPRO, through the FBI to destroy Black liberation movements, to destroy Black revolutionary movements, whether that's character assassination, actual assassination, incarceration, planting drugs. They will do everything and anything. Surveillance, and we live in that times right now, right? Where we're being constantly surveilled. Exactly. And this concludes our session today. Thank you very much to the Sorry. Sorry about that. Thank you, the And Abbas, I feel like 
we've all learned something. I, I know I did. So this was very inspirational and very educational. Thank you guys very much. And I put in the bio for everyone where you guys can reach them and their programs and everything. So thank you very much for taking your time to educate us and tell us more about your projects. Appreciate y'all for having us. Very welcome. I don't know if Larissa and Fernando have anything to say. Appreciate y'all. You know, hopefully once this uh, COVID gets better, you know, we, we can actually be up in there in, in the physical and come build with y'all. That would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I can say the same thing, I guess, just to thank you for being here and for discussing with us. Um, and I think it's really important that we do have these kind of conversations that are online because now we can do things from a distance and break some of these borders and barriers and colonies that have been created um, when you know there's the issues are the same to similar um, and there's you know there's a united aspect of we're just people we're connecting people from you know whether it's Canada whether it's Africa whether it's the US it's it's all a part of you know being your person being your identity and uh, you know governing yourself so I think it's uh, really important for us to have this conversation and just thank you for being here um, I'm not sure if Fernando wants to say anything else but we have put all of your information on our Instagram page as well. So if anyone missed it from the chat, um, they can always check it out on our page afterwards. Yeah, just thank you for coming out and accepting your invitation to um, come chat and educate us all on, on your ideologies and everything. Um, honestly, it was really inspiring how like principled you guys are and how like, you know, you have a vision and you're going for it. Um, so hopefully that we, we can definitely build and grow on that over here. Um, but yeah, definitely. Thanks. Thanks again. And um, hope everyone enjoyed. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Peace. Thanks very much. Bye. Peace. Take care, everyone.